On today's show, I'm joined by Patrice Johnson, and we talk about the current conversation our nation is having around the topic of race and its relevance to us as followers of Jesus in our mission to make disciples of all nations. I hope you stick around for the full conversation because at the end, Patrice gives some great practical action steps you can take to deepen your understanding on this topic. But first, if you're new to this channel, our goal is to help you share your faith in the everyday of modern life. And besides this show, we make videos with tips and tools on how to be a disciple in the 21st century. So if that's something you're interested in, I hope that you'll subscribe and click the notification bell so you never miss a video. All right. Well, welcome, Patrice, to Into the Harvest. Uh, we've been wanting to do this for some time, and it's great to have you um, joining us. We did a podcast episode. Actually, it was a Facebook live stream uh, earlier this month, with me and Lakeith, around the topic of race and faith. And we're going to continue that conversation today between the two of us. Um, we're going to be talking about race, faith, and the church in America. And it's kind of amazing, even over the past few weeks since my conversation with Lakeith, um, you know, society and what's going on in the world has has continued to present challenges, I think, to all of us, but certainly those of us who are part of the body of Christ. So really glad to have you on and looking forward to, to our conversation. But how about I start there as you kind of survey events over the past maybe two or three months uh, here in America, among the church in particular, around the topic of race. What are some of your observations or takeaways? Yes, thank you, Andrew. Well, first, I want to say thank you for having the courage to have these uncomfortable yet timely discussions on your podcast. I mean, I think that these conversations can be triggering. They're complex, but yet critical to have uh, as a body of believers. And I also want to acknowledge that um, I've been giving some amazing opportunities to develop and to study under some amazing leaders who are really digging into this. Um, and I've served within my organization um, as one of the persons on our cultural development team. I don't consider myself as an expert. Um, in fact, I'm on a journey learning about myself, trying to listen to God uh, so that I love people as Jesus would want me to. Um, but I'm excited to, uh, to be in this discussion with you and to share what the Lord has placed on my heart. Um, and as far as what I'm seeing right now, Andrew, honestly, what is most sobering to me during this time is the church's inability to lead the way in setting an example for the world and how to tackle the issue of race and injustice in America. Um, to be honest, the division is embarrassing um, because I think the world is looking for answers. But when you peek in the church, um, it's like you can one, either uh, hear crickets because nobody's talking about it because they don't know what to say, or uh, you peek in and it's like a circus. Everybody's all over the place and it's just really messy and uh, complex because of exactly what to say. Um, but I think what's interesting is this, this is not a new issue in America, nor in the world. Um, in fact, if you look all throughout scriptures um, and historically in almost every society, we see dominant people groups in power, oppressing other people groups mm -hmm. to maintain power. Um, and if we go back to the Garden of Eden, I think it's just in our human nature to want to be like God, all powerful. So I don't really understand the denial because American Christians are not exempt. And I think uh, what's unfortunate, Andrew, is that I think America has tried to ignore and dismiss her wounds and ugly history, but it's coming to surface and now it's just kind of like oozing over in, in, in a really yucky way. Yeah, I can definitely appreciate all of that, especially the desire to to not really have this conversation, or just to to hope that it resolves itself, or that you know other people step up and figure it out. Uh, and also, it's because it is so um, historical, certainly for those of us in the United States. But I I really like what you said, going all the way back to Genesis. Uh, chapters one through three, in, in the humanity in the garden and what took place there. Um, it, it can be sort of an overwhelming conversation to even begin to try to have and to make uh, progress in. Um, and then we were talking just a little bit before we started to record 
there's so much else that's going on in the world, whether it's um, coronavirus, whether it's people struggling economically because of coronavirus. Um, there are people who, you know, the conversation about race has, has several facets to it. And so now it's also become a conversation about um, government in many, many cases with protests and rioting. And there are people who are concerned about racial issues, but then they're also concerned about law and order. And so um, I, I think it sort of plays into one of the biggest challenges we face in, in modern life, which is the battle for your attention and attention overload or information overload. And I think that we've seen that, um, I've certainly felt that myself, and I think I see it within our society. It's definitely within the church. So you don't even know necessarily, it's, it's hard to have a focused conversation uh, about the root issues of equality, um, you know, r racial justice, um, and ultimately the gospel. What does it mean to be people who belong to Jesus, who are from uh, every tribe, every nation, but yet part of, of one body? And so do you have any thoughts about um, the challenge of just having a, a focused, healthy conversation and, and some of the challenges that you've observed? Yeah, Andrew, that's that's a real question. I, I think it's just sad because we as Christians should be displaying a standard of love and justice as the world should just be in awe of. Hmm. Um, but like you communicated, people are so uncomfortable in discussing this topic. and. Um, they get triggered and like in a marriage, we use the term people when there's, when it's tense or there's tension, they can, they either flee, freeze or fight. Uh, so I think it's, it's like seeing this, uh, ugly, uh, fight between a married couple when it comes to this topic. Um, and so, yes, I think it is really, really hard to have this discussion. And, um, I think a lot of it. Um, is connected to um, this spiritual battle. Um, and um, I really hope, even as we get into this discussion here today, that uh, for those who are going to tune into this podcast, that they would not allow the flesh, worldly values, or Satan um, prevent them from hearing what God may want to say to them because they're triggered. Um, and so that's why I think um, it really starts with having the right posture um, mm -hmm. before entering into the conversation. Uh, yeah. I think all of us, um, have an opinion, um, and we all kind of think we know, but, um, I think it begins, um, with the posture, um, of humility, choosing to walk in humility with one another and acknowledging and accepting that we have a limited perspective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of our big challenges, even in this conversation today, is going to be, you know, trying to, trying to have a conversation that is meaningful to us, but also hopefully helpful to those who end up listening to it or watching it on YouTube. And this is, uh, in many ways, a follow-up to that Facebook Live that Lakeith and I did. So many of you, um, we asked you to reach out and and give us questions or thoughts, feedback from that first conversation. And many of you did. We really appreciate that. There, there were actually way more questions than we could address in this one particular uh, conversation that we're going to have today. But I do I'm think, sure. yeah, I think that we're going to be able to touch on truths that answer or at least um, bump up against many of those questions that were asked by, that were sent in by you guys, either via email or on social media. Um, but I, I really like this starting point that, that you brought up, Patrice, uh, posture, because many times um, we could be having a conversation, which really isn't a conversation because we're just talking past one another. And I think that's something I definitely see happening in our society today is everyone's sort of giving their take, their opinion. Um, and and we want to have an honest conversation where where we're able to talk about how we're wrestling with what we're seeing and what we've experienced. But at the same time, part of that conversation needs to be listening and actually needs to start with listening so that we can understand where others are coming from and what they're trying to describe for us. So maybe say a little bit more about uh, posture 
And what, what is the kind of posture that we can have as individuals that will actually enable us to better understand what's going on with people who are different from us or what's going on in, in the uh, larger culture that we're a part of? Yes, absolutely. Well, I want to share an illustration that I heard years ago that really impacted me in terms of posture uh, that we need to have in the body of believers. So there's a missiologist named Andrew Walls, uh, and he calls this illustration the theater gospel. And basically, it's the idea that in a theater, where you sit determines what you're able to see on the stage, but not one seat gives anyone the advantage of capturing the show or um, performance in its totality. So whether in the row, in the, in the box seats, you're limited. But um, in order to capture um, what was missed, uh, we must choose to communicate, listen and relate with those who are in different seats to get the bigger picture. Um, and I think we must see the kingdom of God this way. I love the illustration because in the kingdom of God, we've got the same gospel. We're in one kingdom under one God, but we're different people in different seats. But the problem comes when we begin to believe that our seat or our people group or my perspective is the only way to interpret or view the gospel or God's kingdom. And uh, the fancy word that we call this is, is really cultural captivity. And this is the epitome of pride and arrogance. Um, and it's, it's really just wrapped up all up in our Western uh, society, Western Christianity, because we just have a high value for individualism. Um, so I think, Andrew, um, I think it really begins with going into the conversation with an appreciation that all seats, all perspectives and image bearers in the kingdom of God, they all matter. And so um, I think a, a kind of an overarching question with posture um, is one, are we willing to consider <laughs> that we don't see things perfectly? Um, or would we rather be comfortable leaning on our own understanding with similar voices that tickle our ears um, or walk in humility with those who may challenge yet improve my perspective? And um, so I think it's easier said than done. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Because I like my way, right? I'm comfortable with my seat. I, I'm convinced of what I saw. And um, anything outside of that can make me feel uneasy. Yeah, or it can sometimes make, you know, speaking as so, someone who's white, it can sometimes make us feel like th that we're being, un, I guess, unfairly accused of some of the injustice that's happening in the world. Um, so one, it's not necessarily what, what we are experiencing or what we've seen. Uh, but then too, even if we do acknowledge that, hey, things like this are happening in society, even though I haven't seen it, I haven't perpetrated it. Um, you know, so you can almost feel threatened or, or an accusation that um, yeah. you're you personally at fault for that. So this idea of starting with a desire not to have the answers, not to um, take the blame, but just to understand, just to listen to what someone else is sharing about their experience. It doesn't even mean that you have to 100% agree, but, yes. but to try to understand what they're saying. One of the questions that was sent in was, you know, how Jesus addressed people's emotions versus the facts of their situation. And sometimes mm -hmm. I think we can, you know, we can get so determined to stand up for the facts as we see them that we don't necessarily hear What's, you know, empathy is, is something that we can quickly lose in these difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. It's so, so true, Andrew. In fact, um, you know, this tension is real. The Barna Group um, recently conducted survey, a really in-depth survey uh, among different church leaders and, and groups of Christians um, and the division um, in between the the black church and the white church or the white believers, it is just, um, it's mind boggling because like you said, we all have different experiences and different perspectives. I mean, that theater gospel, it just, it just makes sense. And I just kind of can get stuck in my perspective. And so one of their findings, I mean, just this finding alone, um, 
they said that only a third of white Christians believe that this country has a race problem. Um, but eight out of 10 African-American Christians believe that race is an issue in America. And so that problem within itself um, compounds this issue of us um, getting people together to have a conversation. Yeah. You know, um, I said that we weren't going to try to address all the questions, but as we're having this, this conversation, Patrice, maybe um, I can just uh, interject some of those questions um, mm -hmm. where, where relevant. One of the questions had to do with, um, as believers, shouldn't we just see one another as people made in the image of God? You know, why, why do we need to, to see people as black versus white as, as believers? So do you, um, do you have any thoughts on that particular question and how it, how it relates to us? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I think one of the great, um, deceptions when it comes to cultural race is that um, we just need to be colorblind. And it, this is interesting because in being part of a military community for a long time, I think in order to um, accomplish um, the mission in the military world, um, it makes sense for you to kind of see yourself as uh, a people group um, because seeing yourself with these individual, uh, I guess, um, and these individual worlds can can be a challenge. So seeing yourself as all blue or all green makes the sake of uh, not getting distracted from the mission. But I mean, <laughs> these individual um, aspects of humanity that God created ethnicity, um, God created us with different gifts and personalities, and He likes it. Um, and he has, I believe that God um, does this so that we don't, we can never say that, hey, I have all the answers and it forces me to kind of function interdependently on others. Um, and so, but I think it's just, again, it's, it's a communal way of thinking that our Western culture um, battles with. But I mean, 1 Corinthians 12, 20 says, uh, there are many parts, but one body. And I think not just in spiritual gifts, but I think also um, with cultural dynamics. And so I think it, it forces us to, um, to really learn how to walk in humility with one another. I think a good example is, um, and I'm not sure this is completely answering the question, but um, you know, in, over, over the years, the Lord has been so gracious to bless um, the ministry that my husband and I have with people from different countries and people uh, from different parts of America. And um, not only because they look different, um, seeing them, you know, from, uh, you know, tangibly being different, understanding that there are unique elements of their culture um, that they bring to our ministry community. Understanding that has been so helpful um, I mean, I, I have grown tremendously in um, the way I uh, pray because of some of our um, folks in our ministry that have been from Ghana over in Africa. Um, and if you could do Bible study with people who are hmm. from different parts of the world um, and the way the Holy Spirit speaks to them and the things that they see, um, I mean, it, it has just blown me away, Andrew. So I, I feel like it's just, um, God, it's a treat when you're able to see people um, not just kind of clumped in one, we're all American, we're all, um, we're, we're all part of the body of believers. Um, and that all that's true, but I think God, I mean, he, all throughout scripture, he, he highlights the, um, even in Revelation 7, 9, he highlights the, the individual people groups around the throne. So, Right, right. Yeah, I think this is, uh, my, my own thoughts about this as I've, as I've been wrestling with it have, have been that there's, there's this dual truth. One is that, you know, so in Ephesians 2, it talks about how 
how Jesus has broken down the dividing wall that separated Jew from Gentile, and now he's he's fused from these two distinct peoples, uh, one one group of people who belong to him, uh, the, the the mm -hmm. Christian race, um, and then. Paul also writes in other places that there is neither Jew nor Greek, uh, barbarian nor Scythian, slave nor free, but we're all one in Christ. And so uh, in that sense, it's very true that we as the body of Christ are not um, exclusionary, that we, we welcome all peoples um, into the family of faith and we don't prefer one over the other. Um, the, the flip side of that is that people do have different experiences. And so um, if, if, you know, so Paul has specific instructions to give to slaves, which was a certain class of people in the ancient world who had a very um, unique reality. Their reality was different from those who were free or from those who were masters. And so, you know, Paul didn't say that he didn't have the approach that there weren't specific needs and and uh, realities that different members within the church faced based on the society that they were part of. And I, I kind of see that as being similar when it comes to this particular topic of, of race. And in particular, um, the, the situation that black Americans find themselves in with, with the history uh, that we have here in this country. Um, and so it, it's, it's also true, like James says, that if you if you see a brother in need and you you simply say, you know, go and be filled and you're not willing to really understand what that person's need is or, or try to enter into it, then you haven't really loved that person. And so there's there's this duality of, yes, in Christ, we are all one. But that doesn't mean that the experiences that we're having as we go through life are the same experience and, and part of us accepting others and embracing them and truly trying to to be brothers and sisters to them is to to hear their experiences and to do what we can to uh to be a part of you know making making the situation better so i mean that would be that would be an attempt on my part to to say how, how do we understand this we're all made in the image of god and yet uh, our experiences as we go through life are going to be different mm-hmm mm-hmm Yes, it makes me think about Andrew. I mean, how Paul communicated, you know, when one part suffers, um, all suffer. Um, so there's this individual experience that God validates, but there's this um, kind of notion. So it's, I like that there's kind of two things happening simultaneously. And um, sometimes it's easier to just kind of see us all clumped in, in one because when you start looking at all the individual parts, uh, you know, it just feels like there's more more diapers to change in in the community. <laughs> well, this is probably a good segue for uh, moving into the next topic that we want to address. I mean, the first thing that we want to address is is just our posture as believers that we should be of all people, we should be those who are most willing to listen, quick, uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That should be what people experience us as believers. And it doesn't mean that we have to agree that we just, we have to set aside any of our opinions or beliefs. It just means that we want to lead with empathy and a desire to truly hear and understand what people different from us, uh, where they're coming from. But it is also true that we, we can just become um, drawn up in the, the larger conversation that society and, and culture is having. And so, and that this was another question that came through, um, several times after our last Facebook live, which is, Hey, are we in danger as the church of losing the gospel and losing the focus that we should have as believers and just falling in line with different, with different camps, whether that's people that are more on the political left or the political right. Um, you know, are Christians just being sucked up into a conversation where the gospel gets lost in the process? And we, we definitely, both you and I would say that is not what we're suggesting would be an ideal circumstance. So we want to talk about how do we as believers, what is the unique perspective that we have that allows us to enter into this conversation with something truly unique to offer the world, which is the good news about Jesus Christ. So let's, let's kind of shift into that second category there, Patrice, about perspective and uh, why we need to base our worldview on biblical principles. And so 
maybe a question to get that started is, you know, why does it seem that the church has surrendered the, the helm to culture on this particular topic of race? It's a great question. Andrew, you know, as I engage with Christian leaders, um, even those who are biblically grounded, it is apparent that many followers of Jesus have very little biblical framework or biblical convictions around the topic of race and ethnicity. Um, injustice. And um, so it only makes sense that most Christians are responding primarily from a worldly point of view. Um, and it also explains why the church has surrendered the helm to culture on this issue. I mean, the late Ravi Zacharias said that justice has become a political issue. It is, and I, I can't believe it. I mean, words like uh, race and uh, justice, they're trigger words to people. And um, the people move into the realm on social media outlets to respond either from a political standpoint, an emotional standpoint, logical standpoint, um, or in even uh, his historical standpoint, They'll, they're able to discuss um, the matter um, from all those perspectives, uh, but not from a biblical perspective. Hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. I think there's definitely great significance and value in all those things. For example, I think um, the political response can address an exposed system and policies that um, hurt people in society. Uh, I think God uses emotions um, to serve as like warning, um, sounding warnings to, um, to let us know that there's, there's a matter that needs to be attended to. Uh, logic can help us look at the facts um, in the midst of uh, a lot of opinions. And of course, I, I love history. I think there are some uh, very important aspects of history that we need to look at um, that has impacted the structure of American Christianity today. But um, all those things, all those different perspectives um, cannot give us this perspective needed to address these matters in a Christ-like way. And so, um, Andrew, you know, my appeal to my brothers and sisters uh, has been very fundamental um, that we need a kingdom perspective in the way we view race. I think the way that we attain this perspective is by first understanding we need to allow the Holy Spirit to do an ongoing transformative work in the way I view myself, the way I view God, and the way I, um, we view others. And I, I want to unpack that thought a little bit because, um, <laughs> especially when I talk about allowing the Holy Spirit to do a work, um, and the Holy Spirit could be a whole po podcast you do because <laughs> a lot of Christians are uncomfortable talking about the Holy Spirit, but we've got to understand that the indwelling spirit is in constant battle with the flesh and our pride and can hinder the work of God. And so when it comes to this issue of race, um, there must be intentionality in laying aside our pride and daily dying to self um, so that we allow the spirit of God to do what he was designed to do. And that is one, to lead and guide us into all truth and convict the world. Um, there was a post that someone put in relation to what's happening. And I thought it was really good. It says, more than ever, Christians need to be in the word. And you can probably add prayer to that. I'm thinking that's very good. That's very good. And it's true. Um, but the word of God cannot penetrate a heart that is set and determined to lean on its own understanding. So I think we need to be careful um, as I'm going into this thought of we need to have a biblical perspective um, that we need to be careful not to go into the Bible uh, with our conclusions already drawn because just like the Pharisees, we might find ourselves in there missing the heart of Jesus behind this matter. And so I want, first I want to just say that about the Holy Spirit. But then this other element that I talked about, that it must be an ongoing transformative work. As much as we want to see change, and we are a quick fix society, um, this is not going to happen overnight. Um, and more than I've ever seen before, people are wanting to do something. Wanting, what can I do? What, how can I fix this? And I think that's good as well. Um, but these performative responses are basically quick reactions that can put a Band-Aid on the wound, which is good. You, you need a Band-Aid on the wound if you're bleeding. But lasting change that truly transforms the heart is slow, it's uncomfortable, and it can be painful. Yeah, and I think it starts with the individual. And that's another thing is that we can get so caught up in wanting to fix the world out there that we're not willing to allow God's word to actually change us. 
when you were talking about the spirit, Patrice, you know, there's, there's a verse that says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And also, you know, mm -hmm. peace should be something that we're experiencing if we're being led by the spirit of God. So, you know, if, if we're lacking that freedom, if we're lacking that, that inner peace, that's a good sign that there's work that the spirit needs to do in our lives. And, and we need to ask the Lord, Hey, would you show me what it is that, that needs to change in my understanding, uh, or in my, my heart so that, um, I can become the kind of person that you want me to be. Hey friends, thanks for watching the show. I wanted to take a quick moment to say, if you're someone who's looking for insights, ideas, and inspiration that will fuel your faith for the 21st century, then make sure you sign up for our weekly newsletter, Harvest Highlights. It's free and it's loaded with resources that will help you be a disciple and make disciples in the everyday places. So make sure you check it out. There's a link in the description of this video. Back to the show. Yeah, exactly, Andrew. And that's why this idea of um, your, the way you view yourself and the way you view God and the way you view others. We, we need to take some time to think about, um, what our kingdom perspectives are, uh, around, uh, those three, those three areas. And I think specifically when it comes to the view of ourself, um, as you're communicating, I think one, we need to view ourselves with sober judgment. Um, I think about when Paul says that, um, I think uh, in, a, in a lot of ways, again, we're just full of ourselves, full of what, what we think we know. I remember when I first became a believer um, and I started doing Bible studies on basic topics of, uh, of what a Christian disciple is. Someone told me, go into these Bible studies like you've never heard these things before uh, so that you have a teachable heart. Uh, don't be so full of what you think you know uh, so that you're teachable. So I think first we've got to, you know, view ourselves with view, uh, sober judgment. I think too, <laughs> as fundamental as this sound, uh, I think we need to remember that, you know, the Jeremiah 17, uh, nine mm -hmm. idea that we are, <laughs> we have wicked hearts that are deceived and desperately, <laughs> it's just desperately wicked. So I, again, as I said earlier, um, I don't understand why we're so surprised when God um, reveals that, hey, what if I am very biased or, racist you know these these trigger words that no one likes to admit about themselves i mean i shouldn't be surprised about anything that god exposes in my heart um it's just in our nature right. so don't be surprised with god exposes about history or, or or yourself that um that you maybe you wouldn't have expected um but i think also on a kind of flip of that um i think we've got to give ourselves some grace that we we are all a work in progress um you know, we are all raw material um, in God's hand. And I think one of my, uh, one of the most interesting examples in scriptures, I think about Peter. Um, <laughs> you know, Peter was all over the place, uh, in different aspects. But if you go to the book of Acts, Peter really struggled with going to the Gentiles. Right. And if you go to Acts chapter 10, I mean, it's almost like God had to hit him upside the head to, to help him see it's okay to go to the Gentiles because they'd be so conditioned to to be with the Jews. And there was a lot of cultural tension, as you know, uh, right. in Jesus' day. Um, but um, Peter really struggled. Hmm. But God loved Peter. And God was patient and he was gracious with him as he grew um, in learning to love, uh, how to love a, a group of people that were, weren't like him. And then I would say, uh, one more thing, Andrew, as far as view of self, um, and again, I think a lot of these go against our our Western culture. Um, we got to understand that we were designed to work as a member of the body of believers instead of like and being independent contractors for God. <laughs> you know, um, but again, this communal way of, of thinking is is just really tough uh, because um, it's easier for me to kind of go alone um, and it make me feel like I'm the main attraction and recruit people to, to follow my cause. But there's one kingdom, there's one mission. <laughs> and um, God has called us to figure out how to do that together in our diversity. It's, it's so true. I, I love that you bring up uh, Acts chapter 10 and the struggles that Peter had. And I would say the struggles that the early church had um, to mm -hmm. address the gospel moving from one very highly 
um, high ethnic identity group, the Jewish people, it's about as, as high as it would get in terms of their exclusive, uh, exclusionary view of who they were and where they fit in the world. Um, and God really had to do a work in those early decades of the church to, to enable the gospel to go beyond the Jews into the Gentile world. And, you know, even with Peter, you know, even after the Lord led him in Acts 10 to, to share the gospel with Cornelius, um, you know, we see just a few chapters later where he's taking a lot of heat from leaders in the church, not, not just, um, the church in Jerusalem, but leaders in the church in Jerusalem who felt like he had, he had made a misstep there by doing that. Um, and then even later in Galatians, you see that, um, you know, Paul was going to go to the Gentiles and that Peter, James, and John were going to go to the Jews. And I, I don't think that that was necessarily a bad thing. Uh, in fact, a lot of Paul's ministry can be seen against the backdrop of, um, not, forcing the Gentiles to become like the Jews, that they could be Christians in a way that made sense for them, you know, based on, uh, the, the part of the world that they were and, and their, um, ethnic and cultural background that they didn't have to adopt the, uh, the Jewish culture and framework in order to be followers of Jesus. So it is kind of encouraging in the sense that you can go all the way back to the very beginning of the church and see that this is a, a challenge that the church has faced way before America and our struggles with slavery, there's been a struggle, um, to keep the true gospel, um, front and center and not allow it to become captive to the, the pressures that the world would put on us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. You know, you mentioned, um, we need to let uh, the gospel develop a kingdom view of ourselves, of others. And, um, of God is, is there other, I know we talked quite a bit about letting, letting the scriptures shape our view of ourselves. Anything that you wanted to share on letting it shape our view of others and God as well, Patrice? Yes, that's, that's a good question. You know, Andrew, as I have read through the Bible several times, um, one thing that's irrefutable, um, as I've studied the scriptures is that God, his heart beats for the ethnic, the different people groups for the nations, um, going all the way back to um, the book of Genesis. And this is this is an amazing Bible study. If you can take your time to do an in-depth Bible study, uh, one in defining the nations and looking at what it means, because when we talk about race and ethnicity, um, right. uh, you know, the definitions can be all wacky. But um, but one that simply the God created every human being to be his image bearer uh, from Genesis chapter one, as simple as that sound, um, as it sounds, I think it is, is something that we need to take the time to ask. Is I really embrace, like, do I really treat everyone as such? Um, and I think historically, uh, <laughs> if you look at American history uh, in our constitution, when you can see that an African-American was seen as three-fifths of a person and how the, the, the ideologies of our, of our, you know, the foundation of our country uh, impacted the, the structures of our society uh, and the church, of course, um, that really, um, I think, has led to some of the strongholds we're seeing in Christianity now. Um, one, one of the sobering things we're seeing with some ethnic minorities, I can speak specifically for the African-American community, is this notion that Christianity is the white man's religion. Um, somehow there's this belief that it was established in the West. And, um, and when you look at history, there's these ugly truths of where the, the scriptures were twisted um, in America among slavery. There were parts of the Bible that slaves could not read and so as some of these younger um, believers um, or believers who are fed up with American Christianity are, are understanding these uh, ugly historical truths, um, they don't see themselves as valuable in the American Christianity that's presented. So in, in droves, uh, African-Americans are running to other religions like uh, uh, Hebrew Israelites, uh, the Hebrew, the black Islam. Mm -hmm. um, there is a 
all just all kind of interesting uh, religions that people are, are running to. I actually re recently read an article that even in the Latino community, there's a draw toward um, towards Islam because people just don't see themselves as being created in God's mm -hmm. image. So even though you, you think that's basic, somehow I don't think that's built in, well into our discipleship um, and the way we, we help people think about the, the dignity and value of every person. Um, so I think that's key. I think also, Andrew, um, and this is what gets me excited, uh, that our God commissions us to make disciples of all nations. Uh, so in our job description, if you will, as, as followers or disciples of Jesus, um, go make disciples of all nations is the command. But it's so interesting. I think a lot of times when people talk about the Great Commission, it's go make disciples. But that piece of all nations, do we really unpack that element of it to say, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. um, and I think in many cases, um, a lot of people automatically assume that make disciples of all nations mean you go somewhere geographically different uh, across the sea to go impact people. But that word nations uh, in that ethnos, which is different people groups. Um, and the beauty about America is that we have so many different types of people groups in our cities and across the country. In fact, I was thinking about this uh, yesterday. I was watching the news and how because of the coronavirus um, numbers are going up. There are a lot of countries who are saying, nope, you can't come here can't come here. And I thought a lot of mission agencies are probably like, oh no, what are we going to do? And I'm like, do you see who's in your backyard? <laughs> you know, do you, do you know who lives across the street? Do you know who lives, uh, you know, in the corner of your city? They're immigrants and people of, of so many backgrounds. And um, so I think it's a matter of who, uh, who do I see in the harvest? Um, and I think somehow we've lost sight of it. So that excites me that it's in my job description to see the uniqueness of the nations all around me. Um, I also love this idea, we talked about it a little earlier, that God um, configured a diverse body of believers and desires for them to function in a unified way. Um, but I think what, what excites me the most, um, and this is what I think is missing um, in this overarching narrative, and people have to get into this, the scriptures for themselves to, to look into this, but, um, that God is collecting or gathering the nations, not just Americans, but he's gathering the nations to advance his kingdom. Um, and we get a glimpse of this in the book of Acts, um, and he will gather the nations around his throne. I was doing a study of the promise of Abraham and what intrigued me about the promise of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 11, right before uh, God chooses Abraham, you have the story of the Tower of Babel, where at one point the, the nations, all the people are unified. And then God scatters them and their pride all across the globe. And then the solution to that, God chooses one man uh, to be the answer to gathering or being a blessing to the nations. And uh, we're also heirs to that promise that God has chosen us to be a blessing to the people group around us. So I think the missing narrative to the gospel and what God's trying to accomplish in the kingdom is that the nations that has been scattered, um, God is using the people of his kingdom to gather them ultimately to be a picture of what we're gonna see in Revelation 7, 9. And that's every, uh, every tribe, every tongue, every people group are gonna be around that the globe. So the uh, around the throne. And so it, my, the, the way I challenge myself, Andrew, is what am I doing now to see that um, what God says is going to happen? How am I functioning for that to be a reality now? And, and how am I reaching the nations? So I'm convinced that the nations um, is really the heartbeat um, of the Great Commission. It's the heartbeat of why I have a passion to be a disciple and make disciples because God wants um, us to reach people to the ends of the earth. So I think uh, that idea, Andrew, and there's just, uh, again, <laughs> there's so many pieces of scripture where um, you see all these messianic promises. They're all really a reinstatement of the promise of Abraham, um, of 
<laughs> reaching the nations. And I, and that's why it's just, it's kind of mind boggling that we're missing this, that this should be a core component to what we're developing in the value system of young believers, that you cannot just be focused on you, your world. Um, even if you never go overseas, there must, your theology must be big enough to see the diversity um, and, and um, be connected to God's heart for the individuals that are different. I think that's a good, that's a good way to describe the overlap because the overlap between a conversation about race and faith in the American church and the, the, um, the mission that we see in scriptures, which goes, of course, predates the America uh, and, and even the idea of the New Testament church. It goes all the way back to, like you said, the book of Genesis and what God began to do through Abraham and his family and his, his you know, Paul says that, that God preached the gospel to Abraham, that he would, that through him all nations would be blessed. So the gospel is something that goes way back into the book of Genesis. And that's that's one of the concerns that that people have is that, hey, are we losing that mission because we're getting distracted by this conversation about race. And, and this conversation about race is sometimes viewed as, hey, this is something that's happening, out, happening outside of the church. There, there was a situation that happened um, most recently with George Floyd, and that really was a touch point, a flashpoint for a larger conversation about race. So sometimes people can feel like, okay, but what does that have to do with the church? What does that have to do with, are we just getting, are, are we being hijacked? Is our mission being hijacked? by something that's real and it's an issue, but it, does it need to be something that the church, should we be having a podcast conversation about it um, here at End of the Harvest? So what, what do you, I, I know you've already sort of been talking about that a little bit, but does that, does that make sense? And what would, what would you have to say to that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I, I'm hearing that question too, Andrew. It just boils down to, um, you know, this, the question of, um, how do I really value the worth um, of, of the individual? Um, and I think all of us struggle with loving people the way we should. Um, and so um, I think it's just really interesting that, um, that it, it feels like a threat um, to the mission when, um, I mean, I, I don't know how much more clear the word can be or, I mean, it's just all throughout scriptures that God wants us to reach the nations. But I think um, maybe the tension lies when we're talking about um, race and it's not rooted or connected to this, this bigger narrative. And I think most people um, don't feel comfortable enough um, connecting the dots to the Great Commission and the nations. Because again, I think people see um, race, um, they, don't, they don't connect race in the nations. They see the nations as people who are far away versus right. um, people who are near and dear. Um, mm -hmm. And African-American community, um, the Latino community in America, um, you know, our, we, we are the nations. And here's a, uh, another thing I'll throw in there and, and, and it, it may trigger some people, but I think um, we need to have a discussion of what is white culture? What, is, what does it mean to be Euro-German, Euro? Because I think there's a uniqueness um, to um, our white brothers and sisters. And I think to not discuss that it almost reinforces the idea that white or European is dominant because white is part of Gentiles too, right? But somehow <laughs> it's right. a trip. I think there's all these um, <clears throat> unseen conclusions we've drawn. Like uh, he, he, here's, here's another one that's connected to this, Andrew. Um, I've heard, and I think at one point as a, as a, as a teenager, when I was just learning about slavery, um, I used to think, well, at least um, the African slaves were brought here. When they were brought here, they were exposed to Christianity. 
And in my ignorance, I had did not know that there already African African missionaries um, all throughout Africa in the East who were advancing the gospel there. We did not need uh, the um, transatlantic slave mission to expose. I've had this conversation with some of my white brothers and sisters, and they're 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 shocked with that historical piece of information that there, if you study the scriptures, there were missionaries. I mean, start in the book of Acts, you, you see the evidence that were already uh, advancing well in the East. Um, so, and I think all of those things, um, the lack of understanding um, compound the issue and somehow force people to, um, I don't know, detach my yeah. thinking. Oh. Yeah, it is. It's 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 um it's a challenging conversation f for sure, um, and I think um, with with the concern, what you said, I think is really true. That if 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 the conversation, if if our view of addressing this issue of race and equality and and injustice in society, and specifically in our society here in the United States, if that becomes the mission, and rather than us seeing that hey the mission is to make disciples of all nations and to see people liberated from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of god from all peoples and i, I love how you bring out that that word in matthew 28 ethnos it's where we get our word ethnicity and so when it says make disciples of all nations it's not just saying like we, we think of nations you look at a, a map on the wall and you see those those state those nation states is what we tend to think of as a nation, but that's not what uh, the primary meaning of Matthew 28 is about when it says make disciples of all nations, it's to make disciples of all people groups. And so I love your, your bringing that down to, you know, who's in my backyard, who are the different people groups within my backyard and what are they facing? That's why it becomes a relevant conversation for us. If, if there's injustice, if there's, if, if there are hindrances to the gospel, just like you mentioned, uh, for, for, for many, you know, it's kind of like um, the, the Hotep movement among black Americans who are, yeah, who, who are looking to separate themselves from what we see in the scriptures because they don't see a place for themselves in what they've understood about Christianity from the American version. Uh, they do see it as as a white man's religion. Well, that's a hindrance to the gospel um, among people who are in our backyard. And therefore, if we're serious about sharing the gospel with the the peoples of our nation, then we need to we need to be well versed in scriptures. But we also need to understand what's happening in the culture around us that's limiting or preventing um, the gospel from taking root in certain people groups. Well. Um, well, let me give you a chance to respond to that, but then I, I'd like us to move into some practical actions because I know that's a that's maybe the biggest question that people had is like, hey, what can we do? Um, what resources are out there? But any any thoughts on that, uh, Patrice? Uh, that's well said, Andrew. Um, and it just um, honestly, from a personal standpoint, it's sad that um, we could be so grounded. We're, we're so grounded. In the scriptures but yet that just doesn't make sense and um i know we haven't talked about this yet and that's why i really think it is we've got to remember who our really is this is a spiritual battle hmm. um you know our our enemy uh is not different people groups um our battle is not against flesh and blood um because um, it, it seems very simple i mean if the issue of race no matter what society i'm, I'm in um if there's a group of people that are not being treated right um that that's a gospel issue because we're in the business of people. Um, and one of the ongoing questions, if you are a follower of Jesus, um, should be, how can I best love the people uh, who are in my sphere of influence? Um, but I think to Jesus was, was always challenges, challenging his disciples um, to see and how to see. I love that. Just the ministry of to see. I mean, is he, the disciples were with him and you watch him in the gospels. Um, 
you know, the, the disciples would be in these, a lot of times, um, I think about the, the Samaritan woman and how freaked out they were when they came back and they were, you know, bring, bring food. And he was talking to a woman. And, um, and then after that conversation, Jesus goes into the, the, the he asks a question about, um, basically, don't just, what do you see? You know, the harvest is white. Can't you see that? Um, but I think it's, it's real easy, like you communicated, to just um, keep the worlds, the, the worlds uh, separated. Um, and I think there's probably a lot of different reasons why. But I think it, one of the reasons, another reason could be there's just not a lot of models of people we respect uh, in popular Christianity that, um, you know, are talking about these issues either. Hmm. Oh. Well, what um, we could eat, probably keep going for another hour. <laughs> so, uh, and I definitely <laughs> want to have you back. I've, I've wanted to have you on the show for quite some time now. Um, not not specifically to talk about race, uh, but really to talk about disciple making, following Jesus, and that's that's really the context that that we're thinking about um, race. You know, race is a relevant uh, conversation to have when it comes to making disciples, like you said, like we, we tend to think of race a certain way, but if you look at the scriptures, um, it, it's going to give you a, a more biblical understanding of what, um, scriptures mean by the nations and diversity. But what are, what are some practical actions as we, as we kind of wrap up here, what are some practical actions or resources that you might recommend to, uh, our community? Mm -hmm. It's great. Well, I think, um, you know, in terms of uh, us stepping out into um, taking action, I think first and foremost, um, as we kind of take this um, Christ-centered perspective, I love how Paul says it again, um, or highlights this idea of not looking to yourself in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, uh, 5 16, where he says, uh, I am no longer going to regard people from a worldly point of view. And then he goes from saying Philippians 2, 3, 4, uh, I'm supposed to consider others better than myself. <laughs> so I think those should be the drivers to um, me taking action toward um, my brothers here. So uh, a couple of things, Andrew, um, I'll share. Is that one, I think... Um, it's practical, but it's probably uh, not what people want to hear right away, but I'll say it first to get it out of the way, that we need to take time to evaluate our hearts. Uh, ask God to show us what's in our hearts. And this requires us being still, not, um, you know, then social media, but being still and asking God to show us what's in our hearts. I think that's the best thing we can do, uh, first and foremost. My husband is actually recently he said, people are in their prayer closets, listening to God. Before they open their mouths, we're in trouble. Um, so first, evaluate our hearts. And I think as, as you evaluate your hearts, the second thing that just kind of follows it is God reveals things in your heart. Eliminate the behaviors um, that are uh, offensive to God and to others. Uh, be willing to repent and seek reconciliation. I think three, uh, I would say engage around the topic of race and ethnicity uh, in an honest way with people who are comfortable, safe places for you. For me personally, I have some amazing uh, Anglo or white brothers and sisters where we can just be so real about this topic. They can vent and I can vent and they can ask questions that maybe some other ethnic minorities, they don't want to go there. Um, but God has really um, given me some great friends and uh, just having those hard conversations and me being a safe place for them uh, it has been great. And of course, I've got my ethnic minority friends um, who were able to, to grieve together and uh, be raw together as well. Um, next, I would say enter into the world of those who are who are different. Um, if you have men and women in your ministry that you're helping grow or reaching out to or discipling, enter into their world. Because I think there's one thing to engage with people uh, on your turf. But entering into the world, I remember as a young, young believer um, in college, uh, bringing some of my non-African-American friends home. So my Asian friends and white friends home and 
being a little nervous, wondering what they're going to think about my culture and um, think about my life um, and the way they um, just chose to um, to jump in and, and experience my world brought great value to me. And I think we can do that for others. Um, I'll say, say, Andrew, um, we need to, <laughs> this is hard, we need to expect to make mistakes. Um, um, we will offend and we will probably be offended. Um, but I heard this amazing quote about being offended um, a while back. It says, offense is an event, but offended is a choice. And I was like, ooh, yes, this is so true. <laughs> you know, and if I stay offended, I'm choosing to be stuck in this place. And I love um, Proverbs 19, 11, it says, a person's wisdom yields patient, but it's too much glory to overlook an offense. So uh, we need to learn how to overlook an offense because, hmm. you know, a lot of my white friends are like, I don't know what to say. I'm going to mess it up. I'm like, just, you know, it's okay. Which leads to my next point that I need, think we need to learn how to um, extend grace to others and ourselves. You know, you, you mess up, apologize and say, hey, <laughs> you know, I'm just a, you know, this this black girl brought up in this black world and uh, black community I don't understand or a white person that I have my community and I need you to help me. We teach people how to love us and we've got to be willing to do that and stop expecting people to just know. Um, I think sometimes we put expectations on people that are just so unrealistic. Mm -hmm. um, I think um, also we need to learn how to empathize. Um, I've recently uh, personally done a Bible study on lament. A lot of people are using that word. It's like one of those popular mm -hmm. words right now. Right. And for, to some people, it's too charismatic, but it's a, a beautiful study, yeah. you know, um, from David uh, to Job to Jesus. Honestly, I've been looking a lot at Jesus and I mm. don't even have time to get into it, but some beautiful pictures, especially in the Garden of Gethsemane, some principles I've pulled, pulled from Jesus on how to uh, kind of lament um, and kind of walk in humility with your emotions, with others. But um, again, this, this idea of um, knowing how to empathize and lament with others. And I heard one of my, and I think you alluded to this earlier, Andrew, um, when someone shares something with you, um, don't dismiss what they said because you can't see it or it doesn't make sense to you or you don't agree. Like, choose to listen. Just choose to listen and um, seek understanding. Um, because there's just, just a lot from our different perspectives that won't make sense. But I think the worst thing we can do is just, oh, we can't, we, that doesn't make sense. I don't think that really happens. Or how can they judge? my motives and say that I, that was a racist situation. Um, mm. <laughs> so that's where it gets kind of complicated, but I think it's good to just choose empathy. And uh, last I'll say, um, I think it's important to educate yourself, to be a lifelong learner uh, of God, of people and yourself. But specifically, I want to say, I think we are all biased to types of people we like to learn from. Uh, and when you look at your bookshelf of, of theologians or practitioners in the Christian faith, uh, are they all one demographic? Are they all call, cut from one cloth? Uh, you know, I try to make it a point to read from people from uh, different backgrounds. And, um, and again, Andrew, I think you did a good job sharing that you, you may not agree totally. And actually, I think if you are agreeing with everything you read all the time, <laughs> you're probably not, uh, you know, very, very discerning. So I think both discerning and teachable at the same time. Um, so don't let a person's background, denomination, ethnicity, uh, if they're too theological or too charismatic, be a stumbling block to you learning. Because um, I think that's probably one of the biggest strongholds to us, uh, really allowing to do real work here. So those would be probably my most, uh, the, you know, just the, the things that got laid on my heart as far as what to do practically. I cannot tell you how much I love those practical action steps and I love the resources because basically what I heard you, you say, Patrice, and I hope folks really take this to heart. You know, you started off by saying, you know, look inward. You know, the first action step is really just to do a self-inventory with the Lord. 
and ask him to to highlight and expose areas of our hearts and our our lives our behavior that need to change um i love that secondly i heard you say look to the scriptures you know that's our ultimate resource is to do these studies like you talked about doing the study on lamentation earlier you know you talked about doing a study on the nations and what is god's view of the nations and so there's so much that we have at our fingertips as believers, especially here in the West, that, that we can go and we can, we can really build our, our understanding of, of these complicated, challenging um, issues on Scripture. The Scripture is not silent about um, God's views on these things and what he has for us. And then the third, third area that I, I heard you reference is the people around you who are different but but real life people conversations that you're having with others who who can inform you and who can help you learn because i think what i would expect most people and i didn't know what you were going to say in terms of resources or action steps but i think a lot of people would say what book do i need to read um, and it's not that that the books i mean there's a, there's thousands of books um, or what what video should i watch and it isn't so much that those don't have value but if you if you stack up the value that those are going to give you versus those three things that you shared um you know looking inward with the lord looking to the scriptures and then having real life conversations and interactions with others who are different from us um there's just uh, no comparison in terms of what what you're going to learn and what you're going to glean from those resources and those action steps so i really i really appreciate you sharing those with us Mm -hmm. Amen, Andrew. And again, I, I think, like you said, there's lots of resources, lots of books, lots of um, links you can click on and hear great conversations and forums on this. But, um, you know, I, I have the tendency of being really critical. And again, like those stumbling blocks, if somebody says a word that's a trigger to me, oh, I'll dismiss them. But hmm. when it comes to sitting with God in the scriptures and you're allowing the Holy Spirit to convict you and sitting with the real person. Um, you know, I think you, you can't refute what the Spirit of God is doing. And so um, I would say, yes, read the books, click on the blogs uh, and, and things like that. But um, just guard your heart um, and, you know, listen to everything with a grain of salt. Um, so, yeah. And, and, and I did recommend some resources. Yeah. And you can, we can put those out later. Yeah, we will. We'll put those in the, um, the description for this video or in the show notes if you're listening to this on the podcast. So, well, thanks, Patrice, for being with us today. We will definitely have you back on again in the future. Um, it might be on this specific subject um, or it might be on something else that has to do with being a follower of Jesus and helping others follow him. And uh, I want to thank everybody for watching the show today. If uh, you interested in topics like this about disciple making then go ahead and subscribe and if this conversation specifically was helpful then we would encourage you to share it with others so thanks for being with us this week and we will see you again next week thanks for being part of our community if you find this podcast valuable there are many ways you can support it you can review it on itunes stitcher or wherever you happen to listen to it you can share it on social media with your friends or you can support it directly by visiting our website, intotheharvest.org, clicking on the donate link, and becoming a monthly giving partner. When you do this, you'll receive a thank you package with some great ITH gear. Thank you for supporting the show and helping our small team make a big difference for Jesus. It's listeners like you that make this ministry possible.